0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at wwwrestorationlexcom slash this week. Wow. All right, well, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. It's going to be a good day. It's a beautiful day outside. We have a pop-up party, which I'm excited about as well. And we're starting a new series in the book of James. If you didn't know, so grab your Bible phone app, all that sort of stuff. It's also going to be on the screen. Uh, Right now in America, there are two trends that are taking place that are religious in nature that you may not know are affecting you or you may have noticed. The first one is that the first time uh, in recorded American history in 2020, uh, the majority of people in the United States do not regularly attend a worship service I don't know if you know that or not the largest growing the fastest growing religious affiliation in our country are the nuns people who have no religious affiliations so you're encountering that on a regular basis um, that's people who identify with no uh, religious uh, tradition I'm not talking about nuns nuns although maybe those are declining too, those are cool, but the N-O-N-E-S nuns, people who have no religious affiliation, they now make up an estimated 30% of the American population, which is pretty wild. But at the same time, there's a second trend you may have noticed that religion researcher Tara Isabella Burton has called Remix Religion. And what this is, is sort of the the consumer um, kind of commodification of a variety of religious traditions. I'm going to stand up. I feel like standing up today after that. Good grief. Um, a variety of things. That's why you can go like to Hobby Lobby and you can get your particle board, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, sign, and then you go next door to Marshalls and you can also get religious paraphernalia, like a, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but you can also get Buddha statues and crystals and manifestation journals and things like that, because what we're singing is that alongside of Christian paraphernalia, Christian things like a Joseph Bething by King James Bible, and also a witchcraft handbook in the same section. This is the world we're in right now. We're not seemingly, at least, becoming less religious we're actually seeing the shift in the way we understand religion in this nation it's becoming more of a commodification it's becoming more of a consumer product It's becoming more individualistic in the way that we interact with one another and so when you hear people talking about different faiths or a lot of times christians talk about like atheists and all those dangerous atheists out there which it's very hard to. No, most of the atheists I know are very harmless, but it's very hard to find folks like that now. It's more that religion is sort of an individual remix together, a little buffet of, of just about everything that you put together to create your own understanding of of religion. And you, it's it's very human. We're searching for meaning. We're searching for purpose. In other words, I would say that we're looking for is something called wisdom. E.O. Wilson, a biologist, uh, he made a statement a few years ago. You may have seen this image on uh, social media. It caught my attention, this statement, we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. We are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. We have more information at our fingertips on a daily basis than people could have even dreamed of just decades ago. And with the growing information economy, we've seen this over and over again that the quantity of that information does not mean the quality of that information. Because in the midst of all of the stuff that we are able to know, all of this information, an opportunity right here at our fingertips, you and I both know that there has to be something more. There has to be a wisdom that cannot be summed up in a meme There has to be wisdom that goes beyond the overflow of information that you and I are bombarded with on a daily basis. That's why we're studying the book of James. James is wisdom literature. It's for people like us who are tired of living with faith simply being a hypothetical or a hype or a doctrine or a good idea. James is interested in in what boots on the ground faith actually Looks like It's why he opens up here in chapter one. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that, there, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now James is writing to a community that could could not afford to keep the religion in a hypothetical understanding. This was and oppressed people. These early Christians in Jerusalem where James was the pastor were under a great deal of persecution from from Jewish leaders who saw them as a threat. James himself would eventually be one of the first martyrs in the church, would be killed for his refusing to deny Christ. So when it tells us here that when we suffer, it's not if we will suffer, it is when we will suffer, that we should trust that God in the midst of this then is forming us into the kind of person who knows how to handle these things, is shaping us in the midst of our trials, our struggles. We should in that, James says, ask for wisdom. This is a foundational truth I want to hold on to today, that wisdom is, is less a matter of what we know, and more of a matter of who we are becoming. So when we're asking God for wisdom, we're asking him for more than the right information for a particular circumstance. We're asking him for more than good religious knowledge. We're asking God for a lived experience of what is true and beautiful and good. that's what it means to say, God, I want wisdom. Dallas Wheeler says that wisdom is the settled disposition of the soul to act in accordance with knowledge. That we're disposition, I think that's important. It's how we're formed. Think about muscle memory. Think about how many times Steph Curry shoots the ball the same exact way to become the greatest shooter of all time. Think about Tiger Woods golf swing. Think about Simone Biles on the the balance beam. All of this is developed over a long time, a muscle memory, an unconscious competence in what we do. It's why I'm not good at golf, because I have not developed a single bit of muscle memory for how I play. But over time, if you continue to do the same patterns, the same movements with your body, your muscles will develop an unconscious ability to do the very same thing over and over again. Wisdom is spiritual muscle memory. Wisdom is the muscle memory of our spirits as we continue to live through in our faith these trials and struggles and see how it forms us over Time now, too often in this, we've been fed this lies. We come to a church service like this that, that information equals transformation. That if we just take in more religious knowledge and stuff and sermons and podcasts and books and Bible studies, then surely that will change us. And so if the sermon over here is not very good, well, we can always go. Here's something over here. another Bible study, there's another book. There's always something we can do more information because we believe that if we take this stuff in, it'll change us. And I think this is what a lot of our modern frustration with, with church in general is, is describing. It's the idea that we come to this as a glorified content machine on a Sunday morning, Where you come and you take it in and you realize, wait, I can get that same information in my underwear at home. What's the point? Aaron Nyquist, he wrote this book called Eternal Current. He says that imagine a woman who has struggled with her self-image. who's decided to take a step forward and sign up at the local fitness center. She goes and the fitness staff greets her at the door with a friendly smile and a brochure. For the first 90 minutes, a YouTube cover band plays and entertains until a charismatic personal trainer gets up and gives an inspirational talk about fitness. The woman left excited and encouraged and kept coming back for weeks, but after a while, she noticed that she was getting inspired but not healthy. She had lots of good information, but no one had invited her into the workout room. No one had given her the skills and the practices that she needed to become what she was learning about. This is a woman he's describing that is drowning in information, good information, but drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. Longing to see and live what she knows to be true. Not just knowing that it is true, but longing, longing, desiring to see that formed inside her. To see that formed inside you and me. Chances are, if I were to ask you today, who is the wisest person that you know? You might not say the most knowledgeable person. You might not say the most Educated, the one with the most degrees. You might not say the most talented person. The person you would point out as the one you think has the most wisdom is the one who has been through it and has lived it on the other side, right? That's why I would go to my great-grandmother if she were still alive for faith advice instead of a seminary professor. No offense to seminary professors because it's been lived. That's why in James chapter 3, he's moving on in this thought. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, wisdom will be seen long before it's heard. Wisdom will be shown with the life that we live. This is the foundation of biblical wisdom right here in one verse. It is lived and it is humble. It's not an idea, it's not a body of knowledge, it is boots on the ground. Walk through the valleys of the shadows of death kind of life. And out of that it is humble. Because as you know, when you walk through it, like when you really walk through it, you don't come out on the other side prideful, do you? You come outside on the other side with scars, you come out humbled by what life has thrown at you, and yet knowing that God has brought you through, living through these trials and sufferings that we face on a daily life, not if, but when. When that happens, it should, as followers of Jesus, humble us. It should make us sober-minded. So how do we find someone who is wise? That's what James asks. Well, James says, look for the humble person. James says, look for the person who has lived it out, who is living it out, which is why sometimes I think when we ask God for wisdom, which scripture says we should ask him for wisdom, he gives us a person. He gives us someone else to walk with us. He gives us the witness of, of the saints, of the body of Christ who've come out on the other side. He gives us community. When God gives us wisdom, He's giving us wisdom sometimes that comes in the form of people who've walked through the very things that we're trying to face. I think this is one of the most important roles of a healthy church, is, is that the local church is meant to be this living library of wisdom. Meaning that that when your marriage hits the wall, you have other people who've been through the fire and can walk you through it. It means when you have lost parents, you have people who have been through that grief themselves, been through those questions themselves, and they can walk you there along the way. It means when you begin to experience doubt and questions in your faith that you've never really had before, you have people in the community of faith, not outside, you should have people in the community of faith who've walked through this can help you with those very same dark nights of the soul. It means that when you have struggles with your kids, with parenting, you have people who can say, I know, they're crazy. But you'll get through it. And here's how we've walked through that. That, my friends, is really the simplified version of what discipleship is. It's not some crazy curriculum that we try to bring in together. It's leaning on, leaning in the collective wisdom of the church. Learning from, I need your wisdom. We need one another's wisdom. And when we ask God, as it calls us to do for wisdom, sometimes I believe God is sending us directly to the local church, to community. Now, there's the opposite of that. And the opposite is just living outside of that wisdom, living for our own arrogance. Because James continues, he says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or or deny the truth because such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Here's a really interesting thought. This is the only place in the Greek Bible something is referred to as demonic. Nowhere else is something called, described as demonic, except for right here. And it's describing bitter selfish self-centered ambition and self-righteous zeal you're campaigning on behalf of yourself your rightness and your greatness over and against others we talked about selfish ambition a few weeks back in the greek there it literally means electioneering you're running for office against everyone else because you're great and better than they are your rightness is what drives you and what James says here is that's demonic meaning you can have right doctrine you can have all the biblical knowledge in the world but if you are self-centered if you are always campaigning on behalf of yourself over and against everyone else James I'm sorry to say he says you're demonic turn to your neighbor and say you're demonic no don't do that don't do that I've always wanted to do that but you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Strike that from the podcast. Um, but that's sobering, though. I mean, we can have all the right ideas. We can get all our ducks in order theologically, and still, the way we treat people matters. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, about the, the religious landscape here in America, particularly the way that people perceive Christians, people who, who, who seek followers of Jesus. Sometimes we, we see the, the religious direction of our nation. We say, well, it's a biblical illiteracy issue. We don't know the Bible well enough. But the truth is, is we have more access to the scriptures, to commentaries, to Bible studies, to teachers than anyone in human history. We've never had more access to the Bible so it can't be that. In some sense, yes. In some, some sense, I know that there are folks here who, who are in churches every week and they don't know anything about the scriptures themselves, but I think our faith crisis, it lies in that we have knowing, we know far more than we're willing or even able to live. Our knowledge has exceeded our ability, our desire to actually live it out. We are knowledgeable, but we're not always wise. Wisdom is slow. Wisdom isn't very sexy. Wisdom sometimes is very costly. You might say that you can't microwave a Christian. Christians are spiritual growth itself. It doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen overnight. There is no shortcuts, no several bullets. There's only living our faith step after step day after day and being formed in that. In the words of Eugene Peterson, it's a long obedience in the same direction. You can't gain wisdom in some sort of instantaneous quick fix. There's only living out. There's only facing the struggle. There's only walking through the mundane. There's only walking through the conflict, through the doubts, and gaining the wisdom that is from above gaining it one tiny step one act of obedience one act of love at a time and that's exactly the kind of followers of Jesus that we long to be and I think the world longs to see people who have walked it out and it shows and in living that James says they're they're humble. They're humble. They aren't selling surface Christianity. They're not selling good ideas. They're not building their brand. They're not famous for being more gifted or more good-looking or more popular. Instead, they they bear scars because they've earned it. Well-earned, Jesus-shaped wisdom. I mean, don't you long to see and follow men and women like that? Don't you long to have a a church family filled with people like that? Humble, wise people. That's what I long to be. That's what I long to see in our community. Richard Foster, in his famous book, Celebration of Discipline, he writes that superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I don't know about you, but if that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to follow, don't you? Don't you? Yes. And then James goes on to describe what this looks like for us in the everyday, on the ground level. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest Of righteousness. Right away, there's something that I think is really striking about what you see and how James describes godly wisdom. It is almost entirely focused on how you treat other people. The wisdom that is from above, godly wisdom, according to James, is almost entirely focused on how we love our neighbors. First, it's pure. That's not just speaking about morality. It's talking about single-mindedness there in the Greek. Then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive. A wise follower of Jesus is not needlessly divisive. They don't use what they know to build up more and more walls between one another. And sometimes we hear this term peacemaker. We think of someone who is passive, someone willing to avoid conflict at all costs. But that is not what peacemaking is that's peacekeeping peacemaking confronts peacemaking sees where there is a lack of shalom wholeness a lack of justice that we sang about this morning the love that we long to see made manifest in public and peacemaking works hard to make that a reality peacemaking is hard work peacekeeping is easy because you can just run away from every conflict run away from every hard issue But peacemakers, see when there is division, see when there is confusion, and do the work of bringing wholeness together. In other words, if our wisdom does not lead us to a greater love for our neighbors, then what we see clearly is that it's not. The wisdom of God. If our wisdom is bringing division, it is not the wisdom of God. If it's bringing division, it's bringing division for the sake of bringing what has been divided together for wholeness. If we have failed to love, the Bible says we've been failed, we failed being wise. If we've gathered all the biblical knowledge in the world, if our doctrine is pristine and flawless, yet we have neglected to love our neighbors as ourselves, we are not wise. Real wisdom is what makes us more and more and more like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has, listen to this, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So if you want to know, my friends, what wisdom looks like, here's an easy way to boil it down. Wisdom is Christ-likeness. Wisdom makes us like Jesus. We have to, have to, in the years ahead, in the months ahead, in the world that we live in, differentiate between what is labeled Christian and what is actually Christ-like. Lots of things will be labeled Christian that are foolishness, (laughs) right? (laughs) Foolishness. Wisdom isn't just Christian it's actually Christ-like. It's forming people to be like Jesus. It's values, it's justice, it's wholeness that actually looks like the character of Christ and not just bearing his name as a label or a brand. The wisdom that is from above forms us to be like Jesus and calls us to Christ-like endeavors and not just things that bear the label Christian. So I want to close today with two questions, kind of bringing some of these ideas together. I, I, praying through this, this week and thinking through what this means for our community, I kept thinking about that idea of that living library of wisdom, that, that when God gives us wisdom, he gives us not just knowledge, he gives us one another. And how beautiful, how beautiful that calling can be. And so on the surface, that can seem like very easy if well, We just ask one another. But, but getting into the life of one another, opening ourselves up, our stories, the wisdom that we have earned from hard, hard days, that is not as easy. And so I want to close with these two questions here for us as we move into a time of worship. The first one is this. Is let us ask, who will benefit from the wisdom of your story? Who will benefit from the wisdom of of my story? Am I willing to open up my life, my story, my trials, my struggles, the things that I have faced and the things that I am facing today? Am I willing to open those up as a means for God to bring wisdom into the lives of those that I'm walking with? And the second question, the question that seems very simple and answerable on the surface, but I don't want to just go straight into an answer. I want us to to sit with this question. I want us to to wrestle with this question. This is this. Are you teachable? I don't want to assume I know the answer to that question for me. I I don't want to assume that I have already answered that question. I want to wrestle with that answer. Am I humble enough to open myself up to the wisdom of those that God has already placed around me? Am I humble enough to know that I do not know everything I need to know, but that God has placed me in relationships and community that can form me by His we- wisdom? Am I courageous enough to step outside of my own spiritual self sufficiency? And enter into the wisdom of God in the lives of others. So, as James encourages us to do in chapter one, I'm gonna close today by praying for that wisdom and encouraging you that the wisdom you may be praying for today may be already sitting in this room, maybe already in your life. But whatever that may be, let's ask God because the scriptures promise, He gives wisdom from above father how how much we long to be the kind of people who in humility have lived through and lived out the way of Jesus and god there are no shortcuts we know that but We ask today that you would open that door for wisdom. You would give us wisdom. More than just knowledge, more than just the right information, would you give us wisdom that is from above? Lord, where we have lived in spiritual self-sufficiency, where we have found ourselves on an island, campaigning our rightness and our goodness over and against others. We repent. Lord, make us like you. Give us Christ-likeness. Give us wisdom that is from above. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion this morning.